Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being's Unheard Cuts. Up next, my unedited conversation with the late musician and humanitarian Joe Carter. There's a shorter produced version of this conversation at Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Um, I think I want, I think maybe this will feel a little... Joe, we haven't done a piece where you stand in and say, Here, you weren't uh, re- testing when we were doing Deep River? No, I was okay. Stay in <laughs> well, I think I think music is a form of therapy. Um, I just the, I often start by interviews, whatever the subject is, if it's evil or fundamentalism or you know whatever, with asking people, sort of getting people to plant themselves in their religious background of their childhood, you know, wherever they've gone mm-hmm. beyond that. And as I was thinking about where I'd like to start, you know, I wonder if I ask you, you know, what is the song? Well, you know, my, my curiosity is how these songs were part of your earliest religious life, um, whether you think that was explicitly religious or not. Um, and what, you know, what song comes into your mind that you remember hearing and that meant something to you? You don't just have to choose one song, but... What do you think when I when I ask that question? Well, are we on? Yeah, we're now? on. We're on. Yeah. Okay. Now you can tell all the stories you want. Okay. Okay. Ask the question again. Okay. Well, and um, just you know, t- talk to tell me what you think of when I <clears throat> when I ask the question about how this music played a role in your earliest religious life and what songs uh, or what song comes into your mind first, you know, and why? It takes me back to my childhood in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and um, my church, which was Union Baptist Church, uh, the main black church in Cambridge at the time, we didn't have spirituals in the church, and we didn't have African-American gospel music. It was a period of time when I think... Um, there were a lot of African Americans who were saying, we're not connecting to our history. We want mm-hmm. to show everyone that we can be integrated. Right. So we were singing European anthems, so I never heard it 
in my church except when there was a baptism. This was Union Baptist Church. And when the preacher would go into the baptismal pool and he'd come out, he'd immediately begin to sing, everybody sing, amen, amen, hallelujah, amen, amen, amen. There was no pipe organ, no piano. He was just singing a cappella, and the church would begin to rock. And as a <laughs> child, I remembered, wow, what is that? There's something special about that song, about that music. And I was always excited whenever I got a chance to hear it, but I didn't hear it very often in my church. And another time that I heard it was on recordings. We had an old, scratchy, um, I think it was a 78 recording, and it was a choir called the Wings Over Jordan Choir. And they were uh, an African-American radio choir in the early days. And they also uh, did the background to a, a wonderful um, film called Green Pastures, which was a play. It was all black cast, and the whole thing is set in heaven, and the angels are singing. And every year, this, this film would come on around Christmas time, and the whole family, we would gather just to hear the angels sing, you know. <laughs> and they were singing something that we knew that was very sacred, and it was something we didn't hear very often. They were spirituals. We had an old record of the Wings Over Jordan Choir. Whenever we played this record, it was almost um, a, a, a total hush in the room, mm -hmm. in the family, because it was the story of Mary McLeod Bethune, who was a relative of, of ours, and it tells about how this little girl was the first one born free in her family, how she wanted to learn to read and write, and in the background you'd hear the Wings Over Jordan Choir singing spirituals. And the moment was always so sacred. It was, it, as a little kid, it was kind of creepy to me. <laughs> Say <laughs> some know? more about that. What do you mean? It was, you know, it was like taking you into another realm. Yeah. It's old scratchy record and the angels singing in the background and talking about this old dead relative, you know. But it was a very, very special moment because I noticed that everyone else in the household, they were perfectly still, even my um, rambunctious older brothers. It was like this is, was a moment of quiet and respect. And so somehow, it was during those experiences, I realized there was something very special about this music that was different than, than jazz, blues, and rock and roll, which we played on the record player, or even some of the gospel songs. This was something that was, that was even more powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think I had, um, I, I developed a real desire um, to learn about it. So tell me, what years are we talking about? When were, you, when were you born? When were you growing up? I was born in 1949. Okay. So I was a child of the 50s and the 60s. And um, then the civil rights movement came along, and then everyone was singing spirituals. <laughs> and in Cambridge, we had all the folk singers. And when I was 15 years old, I, I got into um, a folk singing duo with my best friend at the time, with David Letvin, who's Jewish. And his father was a professor at MIT. And David told me, um, Joe, your people have wonderful music. And this was the first time some, I'd ever heard someone say that. Are we ready? And so he wanted okay. to come to my church to hear the music. All right. So he came to Union Baptist Church on a Sunday morning and heard Bach. He said, Joe, that ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I began to search for places that I could share this music with, with, with David and hear it myself. And so we would go um, into the ghetto in Boston, and we'd 
go around little storefront churches and we'd say, this is it, this is it. You hear the tambourines beating and the people, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, there's so much I want to pursue here. It's, first of all, it's very intriguing to me that you started on that journey with a Jewish friend because I think so many of the stories that the spirituals captured came from the Absolutely. Hebrew Bible, the yeah. story of yeah. the Exodus. Yeah. And uh, we had a folk singing duo, David and I, called the Dithi Rambic duo. <laughs> and we sang... You know, this train don't carry no gamblers, and some of these songs that were popular in the '60s, and that yeah. was uh, that was kind of a beginning. Tell me what your family's connection was with the world in which the spirituals um, were created, which was the world of of black slavery. And I think it's only as an adult I really began to understand that, because my parents were very careful not to talk about their pains mm-hmm. and the things that the ancestors went through, because they didn't want us to grow up with so-called a chip on our shoulders. They want us to be free and to realize that prejudice was an evil thing and we must not let it be found in us. But later I realized my grandparents were born right after slavery. My grandfather was born in 1870, you know, five years after slavery. So all of my great-grandparents were born slaves. My grandparents grew up on the plantation. My parents as children were on the plantation as Mm. sharecroppers. Mm and moved to the North mainly to flee the persecution of racism and brought us to a place that was an international community. And every once in a while I would hear my mother or my father singing a little song very quietly. They wouldn't sing openly. Or my grandparents. And I'd say, what's that song? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> you know. Do you think that these were songs that, you know, that they really carried around inside them? Maybe they, yeah, they, they were. weren't consciously humming them or I think they they heard them from their parents and their grandparents and they they just were songs that they sang for comfort mm-hmm. you know So I think and it was only as I as I prepared to speak with you that we all actually try to you know diminish that in our memory memory we celebrate this music now right American mm-hmm. culture as a whole celebrates this yeah. music we don't think very hard or very often about where they came from and how that is speaking to us also through this music. Um, and it was also as I started to prepare this that you know this question that James Weldon Johnson raises in that in the book that you gave me from mm-hmm. 1925, a book of spirituals, you know about who wrote this music the, that there must have been bards that there were that there were great artists at work. I mean, I'm wondering, did any is there folklore around that um, that that comes came down to you through your family, or is there a memory of that, or you know, what do you think, or what have you learned? Well, I I, I discovered a few things as a, a teenager. Um, I met a woman by the name of Jessie Anthony, who was. I think she was over 80 when I met her. And somehow um, she was coming to our church and uh, we young people would go to her house to collect her to bring her to church and so on. Well, here was an African-American woman whose parents were slaves Mm -hmm. in Virginia. And she sang the spirituals. And she'd heard me sing in church, so she she just sort of took me under her wing and she was going to teach me these songs. And she had a suitcase full of stories um, that she had collected over the years of the spirituals. And she would tell me, she'd say, child, when they sang this song, this is what they were talking about, you know? Oh. A lot of people don't know this. And she had stories for every okay, song. Okay, tell me a story. Tell me one that you remember. How many are there? Five? It's a body of 
500 or 600 songs, right? No, five or 6,000. Five, five, five or 6,000 yeah, yeah. <coughs> that have come down. At, at least. Mm -hmm. One of the stories I seem to remember that she told, it was about um, Emancipation Day had come, and there was a group of former slaves now on an island off the coast of South Carolina, and my parents were from South Carolina, all my family. And uh, they were waiting for the emissary of the government to arrive in his little boat to tell them that they had received the deeds to their land because the government had promised them not only freedom but 40 acres and a mule. And so this was going to be a great, wonderful day. And the former slaves had gathered together on the island waiting um, with bated breath. And finally they saw the boat of the officer approaching. And they could tell even from the distance that his face was not happy, and his countenance was somewhat sad. And they said there was a groan that just came from the crowd, and one of the older women from the crowd just stood up and began to make up a song on the spot. Let me show you what that song is. Yeah, I do. I'll go to the piano. Okay. song she sang. Nobody knows, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, then she spoke, looking to the people around her. She said, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Oh, yes, Lord. Sometimes I'm almost level to the ground. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. She looked at the people standing by. She said, although you see me going long so. And they answered, oh, yes, Lord. I've got my trials here below. And they answered, Oh, yes, Lord, oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory. That's really the way it worked. Someone stood up and started singing, and that song entered the 
the canon of that spirituals. That was the story. That is amazing. You know? Yeah. And, and there may be other stories yeah. from other areas of, of where the song came from, but that was the story that I'd heard, yeah. that it was just a spontaneous moment. Yeah. Um, and people were always dealing with disappointment. Right. And they always had to be reminded that no matter what, they had to get up and keep going. And it was the song that seemed to help them get through. And so forgive me, because I'm, I mean, this music goes all through your body, but I also am listening as a, as a theologian. Mm-hmm. And when I listen to you sing it just then, I realize that it is a perfect reflection of what happens in just about every psalm in the Bible, which is about, can be about the depths of the despair and in the mm-hmm. next breath praise, despite that, right? And even and this connection with the suffering of Jesus, which I think, you know, especially in this country, a lot of Christianity has lost, yeah. right? Um, even I think of Jesus on the cross reciting the, be- the beginning verses of Psalm 22, and you, you know, some of the words you sang about sometimes I'm on the ground, and, mm-hmm. and one of the lines in that psalm is, I am a worm and no mm-hmm. man. It's yeah. amazing theology contained in something that sounds... And I think that is one of the secrets to the power of this music. Right. Um, someone, I, I was doing a concert in, in Russia a while ago, and I sang this song, and after the concert, a, a woman came to me and said, Mr. Carter, do not understand song. I said, what? Is this not the spiritual? I said, yes, the spirituals were originally called sorrow songs. It is sad song. But why, Mr. Cutter, you sing sad song and you sing glory, hallelujah? It's not sad sentiment. Exactly what you're saying. And I said, that's the secret, that no matter how long the night and no matter how painful the day, we could always find something for which to be thankful. And as a community, we learned that we could, as a community, always look up and thank God for, for life. And sorrow songs, is that is that what the spirituals were called? Yeah, that's what routinely? I'm told. Routinely, and um, and it does connote it connotes what's in the music, but it connotes something different from the title spiritual. Mm-hmm. Because they were exp- the expression of the great pain and the sorrow, but at the same time they were always looking upward. Mm-hmm. They were always reaching. There was always some level of hope, as as opposed to the concept of the blues. The blues was just singing about your troubles and there was no hope, but there's always a glory hallelujah someplace saying, oh, and on that glory hallelujah, then we fly. So in the midst of the night, we can fly away to freedom while we're singing these these songs. And and, I mean, sorry, it seems to be grounded in the experience of sorrow, Mm -hmm. Um, but making a connection with that between that and the larger human spirit and the larger experience of God, which is not just about the sorrow. Yeah. I, I think that the sorrow became the entrance, the open door, into these, a whole new world of experience. Um, they, the slaves could not experience the normal world. They couldn't go out and go shopping. They couldn't buy a house. They couldn't do all the things that the normal white person did. They were slaves. You know, they were whipped and they had chains, and they found a secret door to take them into that world where the tears are wiped away. But the tears are cried first, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you talked about 
the, the secret power of these songs. And, and I think so much of what we're learning now in our advanced day is how important it is to embrace suffering mm-hmm. in life in order to move forward. Yeah. And maybe they did not have a choice. No, they but didn't. There's, it's almost like there's healing in that moment, even though it doesn't take the pain away. You know? And there's, that's one reason I think that African-American religion and culture has become so powerful in the world. One of the things that I think about when I think about this body of music, I, I realized that it was the foundation for most other American music. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and this music has changed the face of music in the 20th century. And the story behind the creation of the spirituals, it's really it's a miraculous story. Normally when you hear the story of African American music in a documentary or something, you go back to Ella Fitzgerald or Louis Armstrong. Yeah. And I say, well, that's, that's great, but you, if you really want to know the story behind the story, find out who Le- Louis' grandmother was and what she was singing. Yeah. What were the songs he learned when he was a baby and what, what were the messages of those songs? And, so, and the thing that we find is that in the midst of all of the most horrible pain, some of these powerful individuals lived transcendent, shining lives. They were able to rise up above I mean, they were able to be loving and forgiving in the midst of it all. Mammy was taking care of Master's baby. It was Mammy, not Master's wife, that was nursing that little baby. Mammy could have poisoned the child. She could have smothered the child. But she loved that child like it was her own child. Because there was something in her faith that said, you're supposed to be loving. (laughs) You're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be forgiving. And there's no excuse if you are not. We have songs like... Uh, the, the interesting thing, you don't find mean-spirited sentiments in the spirituals. They're right. the most noble sentiments. Now, you, you find a song like this, It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You know that song? You yeah. know, learned it in Sunday school. It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, yeah. not the preacher, not the deacon, not the doctor, not the lawyer, not the master. Wait a minute. These are people who were victims. They were in the midst of the most horrible situation, but they said, I'm taking responsibility for who I am today, and it's me standing in the name of the... I'm the one that has the proud heart today. Come and fix me. Okay, and again, I mean, you know, I mean this, is, this is not only sound theology and psychology. It's, it, it's, extreme, it's, it's extremely mature spirituality, right? Yeah. What do you, and, and okay, so you have traveled all over the world. You've talked about these songs all over, over the world. I want to know, and you've been to Africa a lot, I believe, right? I mean, that's also part of your experience and your way of thinking. No, I've just had one trip to Africa oh, okay, recently. Oh, okay, okay. My first. Um, you just bring back a lot of stories everywhere you go, I think. Um, I want to know, what was it that, that came together in the lives and the spiritual sensibility of those slaves that, that, you know, that, that connected them so powerfully to, really, those are the best attributes of Christianity that mm-hmm. you're talking about. They're not often practiced, right? Most people can't internalize mm-hmm. those things. They're embodied in, this, in these songs. Um, you know, James Weldon Johnson talked about this as, where is this, what was this, uh, you know, the verging of, of the spirit of Christianity with the vestiges of African music or, or an mm-hmm. African sensibility. I mean, do you have any ideas about what made that such a special fusion? Um, well, I've thought about it a lot. Yeah. And, and one thing that uh, occurs to me, if we go back to, to 
um, the cultures of the slaves that came from many different African nations and languages. But one thing they had in common was they believed in a supreme deity. But they believed he was very busy and very, very holy. And in order to get to him, you had to go through the ancestors. It wasn't very dissimilar to the way Europeans felt with the saints and so on. Um, when slavery took place, and there was also this, this concept that you commune with deity with magic shining songs. Hmm. If your songs come forth with great fervor, you not only reach deity, but deity comes and possesses you, becomes part of you and gives you the strength to do whatever you've got to do to win your battles, to harvest your crop. And when people were taken suddenly as slaves, when they were literally kidnapped from their normal lives, whatever those lives were, um, they were taken away from the land of their ancestors. The spirit of the ancestors couldn't cross the water. It's like the Native American, you know, the, the place where you were born is sacred. Yeah. And so when they were taken on these boats from away from their homes, they experienced the most deep desolation possible because not only were they being removed from their friends and kindred, but they were being removed from their God. And they had no way to get to God because the ancestors were way back in Africa on the land. And I imagine, and I think that's the only thing we can do, we can only use our imaginations to really discover how folk music emerges. Because I'm sure folk music is still emerging today. We just don't know which songs are going to appear 200 years from right, now. Right. But the same process is taking place. I think that when the slaves heard about this Jesus, now the master's religion, first of all, you've got to realize this, they were not impressed by the master's Christianity, may I say. Well, right. I mean, this is why it's even surprising to yeah, me that they adopted Christianity. Exactly. Because they saw all of the brutality, they saw all the hypocrisy and, and were the, the brunt of it. But they heard about this Jesus, this man of sorrow who suffered. And, and they identified, they thought, and then they were told that Jesus is the son of the high God. No, wait. Right. The son of the high God? Mm. We can get to the high God through this guy? Right. And his story sounds like our story. He's born in terrible circumstances. He's mistreated. He's finally abused and killed. My goodness, maybe he will carry us to the high God. Then also they heard stories about Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah. <laughs> um, my goodness, they loved that story because they identified with Daniel. Tell, um, I just want to say, you know, one thing that's striking is they connected with the spirit of Christianity rather with the, than with the church, the institution, mm -hmm. or the way it was being practiced. Yeah, they knew nothing about theology. Yeah. You know. Um, and, okay, so why is the Daniel story so... Tell the story and tell me what the connection is uh, between those people and, and that story. Well, let me, let me sing the song that yeah. they, they created okay. from the story. Okay. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? You know, this is going to be edited, so you can say things. Yeah, okay. And you don't have to worry about, we don't have to be perfect. <laughs> Does that right? Yeah, I think so. That's right. That's right. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Deliver Daniel, deliver Daniel. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Why not everyone? Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Daniel, deliver Daniel. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? 
why not everyone? He delivered Daniel from the lion's den, Jonah from the belly of the whale, the Hebrew children from the fiery furnace, why not everyone? Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Deliver Daniel, deliver Daniel. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Why not everyone? Take a second. You, you missed that turnaround. Just take it. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Deliver Daniel, deliver Daniel. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Why not everyone? The moon runs down in a purple stream. The sun refused to shine. Every star shall disappear, but Jesus shall be mine. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Deliver Daniel, deliver Daniel. Uh, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Why not everyone? Why not everyone? Why not everyone? They were in the lion's den of slavery, and that lion was roaring around them every day. But somehow, the hope that came from this story that the angels locked the lion's jaws, I mean, they love that story. And I think when you think of these kinds of songs, you got to think of what created that. It was, they loved the story so much they started singing about it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and you had... Um, Were their songs reaching back to the ancestors? Do you think they felt that also, that old belief that was, that was planted in them of their songs reaching to God? I think in the early days of slavery, yes. Because for a long time, there were a lot of um, ancestors from Africa who were still there on the plantations, you know? And so they got that sense. Uh, for example, with, with uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, her grandmother was one of, um, came over from Africa, you know, with two sisters. And she remembered the songs and stories and, and sang those songs to the children. Now, nobody in my family now remembers any of the songs, but we have the stories of her singing the songs to the children and so on. And part of the songs were, it was through the songs that the faith was transmitted. Mm-hmm. You know, that's. I mean, it's really it's it's taking the story whole and passing it on. It's a pretty good Bible study. And then um, you know the story of slavery. Yeah, the Exodus. You mean yes. I mean, being captive in of a the foreign Jews land. in in Egypt. Yes. And so you know, go down Moses, way down to Egypt land, and tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah. You know? And sometimes I imagine. How some of those songs have, have, were used, um, and I imagine someone on on the plantation, the, the master, who is always very happy when he hears the slaves singing, because he knows where they are, he knows they're not escaping as long as he can hear them. An old master comes out one day. He says, uh, "Hey Joe, Big Joe, I don't hear nobody singing down there. You guys, strike me up one of them good old spiritual songs. You know how I like them. Give me one of them good old songs." And you know. <laughs> And often when I go to the school children, I have them sing with me. I say, okay, now pretend you're going to be, you're all slaves, okay? And, and Master wants us to sing a song, but you, we don't really want to sing for Master, do we? No, no, we don't. I said, well, I'll tell you something. The Master loves our singing, but he doesn't listen to the words we say. He doesn't have a clue what we're so we can say anything we want. <laughs> so let's give the Master a good old song. What do you sing with the kids? And it's, when Israel was in Egypt land, let 
my people go, oppressed so hard they could not stand. Let my people go, go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land, and tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. And after we go through the song, they say, hey, old master, how was that one? <laughs> <laughs> one of the connections also that I, I learned about that period of time from my grandparents was my grandfather was a storyteller. And he would regale the, the family every time we were together with slavery stories. I mean, that's what he always hmm. talked about. And there was a slave by the name of John, who was the star of all of these stories. Right. And you never knew whether the story was true or not, but it was always funny and it got your attention. And Grandpa was a good storyteller. But there was also always a moral at the end of the story. But the one theme that went through all of these stories was the end of the story was that John had outsmarted the master. He was always ahead of the master. So there was this concept, the master doesn't really understand us. Um, we play a role for him, and he sees us in a certain way, and we'll play that role as much as we can so that we won't get whooped. But we've got to stay two paces ahead of him, so we've got to understand his thinking, but he can never understand our thinking. And so the spirituals were all, all of the spirituals, all of the songs were masks, mm -hmm. as well as, you know, the, these transcendent, wonderful moments, they were also um, signals for escape. Right. It, it's also a way in which they could be singing about sorrow, but the way that was working in practically was to give them, a, was very powerful and yeah. subversive. Mm-hmm. I also, tell me if this is true, I believe that for in much of indigenous African uh, religion, there wasn't necessarily this sense of an, there was an afterlife, but not necessarily where wrongs are righted and, and, and slaves are free and sort of life as we know it might be turned on its head. And that that, <clears throat> sorry, that that promise and that hope of Christianity, sort of a much larger view of time, and promises that might not come true in this lifetime, but that you could cleave to, that that, was, that, that also uh, was, was taken in and became part of the spirituals. Is that, is that right? Well, I, I think that um, part of African philosophy and thinking and religion always included um, the continuation of life. There was no concept of death. That, um, and that, that the ancestors did not die. They were still with us. And so there was this firm belief of life after death. And I don't know whether they had a very clear picture of what was going to happen, but I know that many of the slaves felt when they got to heaven, they were going to be back in Africa. Hmm. They'd see the lions and the tigers, you know. They'd right, see so it was going to be more life as we know it, rather than something completely different and transcendent. I think, um, yeah, I, I, that's probably true. But then it also must be said that uh, you know, Christianity was on the continent of Africa for a long time, yeah. long before it got here. So many of the slaves who came may have already been Christians, and some of them were Muslims. I know, and I want to ask you about that. Um, <clears throat> sorry, because we associate the spirituals with Christianity, but it, it, I believe as many as one in five of the slaves who came from Africa may have been Muslim. And I'm also curious, because you've traveled all over the world again, um, is there any is there any piece of this spiritual sense about sensibility that you that you find familiar in Islam, or do you see that connection living in the? I'm songs? just beginning to learn about Islam, but one of the, the experiences that I had 
in Africa recently um, at the palace of the Emir of Kano, who is the father and the leader of um, 60 million Muslims in Africa and, and, and a friend and someone who I, I think of as a father to me. Um, I was visiting at the palace and, and talking to the wife of um, his son, who was the crown prince. Um, and I mentioned my great-great-grandmother, uh, three generations, three times removed, um, came from Africa, and her father was a king. And we know her name was Sophia. And this was the grandmother of Mary McLeod Bethune. And so all I know is Sophia. And I was talking to um, the wife of the crown prince, whose name was also Sophia. <laughs> and I said, you know, I've, all my life I wondered what her real name was, because I'm sure they gave her that name. Because honest to goodness, the only Sophia I had ever heard of was Sophia Loren. So I thought it was an Italian name. <laughs> and she looked at me and she laughed. She said, my dear, your ancestor was a Muslim. Sophia was one of the wives of Muhammad. <laughs> and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, you know, I'd never even thought, I never considered that, that some of my ancestors might have been Muslims, and, and it probably was true, because that, that name has certainly been passed down. And, and you know, um, so that, that's a whole area now that we as African Americans have to look at. We're just beginning to discover this aspect of, of our African heritage. Yeah. You know what I think I should let you do now is sing and play some music for us and just talk about and, and, and sing me some songs that are especially important to you and, and, and I'm going to hear that, but then also okay. maybe put some words to why. Does that sound like a good idea back there? Okay. Okay. I don't know. What's, what moves you? What would you like to... Let me get some water. Yeah, I know. I'm having this cold still too. Do you have any, any requests? Um, no, I really want to know what you love to sing. Tell me something. Uh, we haven't talked about this. I think we confuse the spiritual and the gospel often, mm-hmm. that those are the same yes. genre. And what I'm realizing is they're not. The spiritual is sort of the or song. Well, African Americans even confuse them. Uh-huh. So, so t- you know... Um, and the major difference is the spirituals are folk songs. Every gospel song has a composer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, tell me again the the difference between um, a spiritual and a gospel. Uh, I would um, say that the, the the principal difference is that the spirituals are all folk songs. No one knows who composed them. If you see them listed in a book. Composer unknown, traditional spiritual. Gospel music was um, a new form of music that didn't exist until after the turn of the century, um, after the days of slavery and so on. And, um, and they took the themes and the, the um, ideas of the spirituals, spruced them up a little bit, and sometimes took some of the slow, stately spirituals and added um, tempo to it. Um, and and soon the songs began to uh, be... And also the other thing about the gospel songs is they were more directly evangelical. Right. I mean, did the gospel songs represent spirituals becoming part of this institution of the church? Is that what, what that was about? No, because they, no? they're, they're still completely separate genres of music. Okay. And a lot of people use the word interchangeably, but they are different styles of music that can exist 
in, in a church. So for example, in the church that I grew up in, we did sing gospel music. Once a month we had a gospel chorus. And on occasion there might be a spiritual song. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the gospel music became, um, actually when gospel music was first introduced into the churches, into the black churches, people didn't like it. They thought it had too much of a beat. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does that mean, as opposed to what? Well, I think that there, there was the early gospel and blues that were pretty close to each other. Yeah. And in the slave community, there was a complete separation of the sacred and the profane or the secular. And so if you sang the blues, you didn't sing the spirituals too. You know, it was when you were on, sort of on the outside of the circle of grace, you were, you'd sing the blues. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the father of gospel music is Thomas Dorsey, um, an African-American who was a blues pianist and um, had a tremendous uh, experience when his wife died and um, wrote, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Mm. Then he began to introduce, he started to write these songs and introduce them into the churches. And it was he who said that uh, people didn't like the songs that had too much of a beat. They thought it, you know, it sounded too much like blues. Okay. <laughs> But all of that really evolved from the spiritual in yeah, its own way. Yeah, it all way. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you have him give an example of gospel versus spirituals? Um, yeah, you mean sing them. Yeah. So why don't you sing me some spirituals, um, and, and then let's also hear, you know, in a minute, okay. hear something with that subversive beat, that go- <laughs> gospel Well, see, the, the problem, problem is I do the spirituals with a subversive beat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll forgive you for that. Because actually, you know, there are, it's a very strange thing because right now the spirituals are sung um, by classical singers as part of their uh, mm-hmm. repertoire of uh, art songs. And you have people like Paul Robeson and Marian Anderson and Roland Hayes who introduced these songs to the concert stage. Um, and then they were not, for a long time, they haven't been sung in black churches. And most African-American churches do not spend much time with spirituals today. So you've got to go to um, a nice Lutheran church in Minnesota, you know, <laughs> or Wisconsin. So, so they would be singing gospel music, but not spirituals. That's right. Mm-hmm. And most of us don't know the difference. Um, you know, songs like, nobody, the, like one, the one that I just sang, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. I've never heard that sung in a black church in my life. Mm. Never. Right. And part of it is the feeling, oh, that... That was the experience of the old days. We want to move ahead. So a lot of the gospel songs focus on joy um, and, you know, the sort of the other end of it. But then we have a wide variety of, of uh, gospel songs that become part of American culture. And you have, you know, Nashville and the bluegrass and all yeah. of that. That's also part of it now. Yeah. Um, it's also in the family tree. Yeah, what do you love? What do you love to sing of this music? Well, let's see. Let me do a little bit of Motherless Child, Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll do this one. Um, That's the one I was humming at my computer this morning as I was making notes for this. I'm not sure why. Let me try it with them and see if I've got a problem here on the piano. Let me just warm up here. Testing. 
Can you take the volume of the piano down a little bit in here? Is that possible? Okay. That's a little better. Here's a song that has always been a powerful song for me. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Oh Lord, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. From a home, a long ways from my home. Sometimes. I feel like I'm almost gone. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone. Oh Lord. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone. Oh Lord. From a home, a long ways from my home. True, true believers. Yes, yes, my brother. Oh, oh, my sister. Long way from my home. Okay, I think I'll do it without the. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do a few things, and then you, later you can choose. You know what what you want. When you, you know, this word spiritual, I mean, that's, that's a song about, that's a sorrow song, isn't it? I mean, how, if I ask you, how is that spiritual? That song. Yeah. Oh, you need to, you need to look at, does it have, can it be that microphone? Okay. You just, just talk, yeah, you can stay where you are. Just, just answer me, answer me in the, in, in the microphone. Um, you know, so that the question is, uh, you know, that's not a song about God, I think is my point. It's not mm -hmm. a Christian song. Um, but how, how do you experience that song as spiritual? What does that mean? What does that word mean? There. That's an interesting question because on one level it is 
it's spiritual in the sense that it's reaching down into the depths of one's spirit and heart and soul and letting everything out. And although there's no mention of God in this song, um, it's a memory of what's important. Home is important. Where is home? Maybe I have to find a new home. And in the singing of the song, I have found a place. In the midst of this, this island and this quicksand, there's nowhere for me to lay my feet. But when I express myself um, in these songs, whether it mentions God or mentions my pain or mentions my family, somehow I'm connecting to some solid ground. And in the expression, I become lighter. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the middle of the night, I get wings to fly with, while the master is the one who's in chains. Right. Okay, yeah. that was a great answer. And I want to say to you also, um, um, these, are, these questions are ridiculous in some ways, because I'm asking you to put words to something that's always going to defy a hard, words. That's a hard question. And the song itself. So I'm just going to say, I may throw something like that at you, and that sure. was a beautiful answer. But if you want to say to me, I can't talk about this. That's okay, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, tell, sing some more. Okay. Let's um, try... Let's see. One second. This is another... Yeah, I think it's easier for me. I am a poor pilgrim of sorrow Down in this wide world alone No hope have I for tomorrow I've started to make heaven my home. Sometimes I'm tossed and driven, Lord. Sometimes I don't know where to roam. I've heard of a city called heaven, and I've started to make heaven my home. Why don't you come, Tom? And let's try. Um, <clears throat> oh, there's so many that have... Um, Let's do um, just a little bit of sooner will be done. Okay. Sorry, I'm hearing voices. Now. Can I tell you just a little yeah, story it, before, before this? This can be messy. Just talk and sing in whatever order. I 
talk to a woman who was a leader in the civil rights movement in um, Alabama, someone who is not very well known, but she was like a Rosa Parks in, in Alabama. And um, I can't think of her name at the moment. But we met when she was 83. And I was asking her about her childhood. And she said that she grew up with her grandmother, who had been a slave. And she said, Grandmama used to always talk to me and tell me all about, and she'd show me the, the marks on her back with the Macedon whooper and told me about how the master raped her and then raped her daughter. And I didn't even know what those words meant. I was only a little girl, but I guess she just had to talk to somebody. So I'm sitting talking to um, this woman, and I said, can you remember any song that your grandmother used to sing? She said, oh, yes, child. There was this one old song my grandma was always singing. She'd sing when she'd be wa working and washing clothes, working in the kitchen. She just always loved this old song. I said, can you show me how it goes? And it goes like this. Soon. Okay. And we're in the wrong key, Tom. Okay. We're supposed to be in A flat. Quiet, but not Oh, I'm trying to think of this lady's name. It's in the, in the top of my head. It was amazing just talking to this woman and hearing. And she was so full of love. And this is the thing that a lot of people don't get. They don't realize when I think about my grandparents, that's the thing that, that arrested me. They were loving, they were bigger than life. Nothing would ever get them down. They were on, I mean, I wish I could be like that. And I found out a lot of the old people who came through slavery, they were like that. They were spiritual giants. Mm -hmm. Some of them had, had really learned to walk the pathway of love. And um, the generation that we have today, we don't understand that. And as a matter of fact, we think sometimes um, forgiveness is an expression of weakness. We don't realize the power and strength and what fortitude it, it, it takes within um, one's spirit to, to say, yes, I was wronged, but I will forgive. I will not carry that ball and chain because that hurts me. Yeah. Even if the only reason I forgive is out of my own enlightened self-interest, I'm going to do it. And, um, and I found... You know, my grandparents, they did not have <laughs> anything against anybody, and they lived with us in Massachusetts. And I remember one day, we came home from church, and we, after Sunday school, we'd go by Grandpa's house, because we'd get a nickel or a dime, you know. And I was there with my older brothers, and my oldest brother, his girlfriend was white. And I thought, I wonder what Grandma and Grandpa are going to say. <laughs> and we walked into the kitchen, and they, they looked, and... Um, and my grandpa just sort of looked her over and he said, now who is this cute little girl here? <laughs> What's your name, child? And she told him, and how old are you? 16, sweet 16, come here and give Papa some love. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I saw both my grandparents embrace this. That was the way they were. But, and you know, as we're talking, I'm feeling like that, that sensibility, which is really an ability to hold together paradox, which is the, the hardness of life and also hope and love and, and an ability to overcome it um, without denying it. It's, it's, like it's embodied in this music, and it's hard to say whether the music is ref a reflection of that or whether the music was part of them being able to live that way. I, don't know. I think it's both. 
I think that the, the music became a means of survival. It became a means of achieving something. The, the music itself became that door through which one could enter and find that secret resting place. Um, for example, with it, we've got to do another song. Huh? <laughs> we got Which goes right along with what I was just. Yeah, okay, good. Steel. Can you just start one more time for me, Joe? You want to do this one? Are you comfortable with this? The, the bridges. <laughs> this was one of my grandmother's favorite songs. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. I've got to steal away, steal away home. long to stay here, steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus, I've got to He calls me by the thunder, the trumpet sounds within my soul. And I ain't got long to stay here. Green trees are bending, Hosanna stands a trembling. The trumpet sounds within my soul And I ain't, I ain't got long To stay, to stay here Take me to A flat minor, which I sooner will be done. Sooner will be done. 
with the troubles of the world, with the troubles of the world, Lord, with the troubles of the world, oh, soon will be done with the troubles of the world, going home. Okay. Okay. Soon I will. Let's back up for a second. Can I just tell you a little story that goes yeah, with this? Yeah. You might not use it, but okay. one of my early memories was my mother taking me to the cinema, and there was a movie called The Imitation of Life, and it was about racism. And it was about a black woman who worked as a maid in this house, and she had a daughter who was half black and half white. But the daughter appeared to be more European than she did um, of African descent, and so she passed for white. Well, as the girl was growing up, she learned to resent her mother because she didn't want anyone to know that she was black. And the mother would be scrubbing the floors and trying to save money for her school and so on. And the girl turned on her mother and called her a nigger, and refused to have nothing to do. And I'm a little kid sitting in the movie theater with my mother. I remember everybody was crying before the thing was over. Well, near the end of the film, the, the, the little girl grows up and she goes away and she gets involved in a very bad lifestyle and the mother comes looking for her and she refuses to speak. She says, I don't know this woman. And at the end of the movie, the mother dies and the girl gets the message and she arrives at the funeral and the funeral is going through the street, and the girl now realizes that she lost the only one who really cared about her, her mama. And as the funeral procession's going through the street, she's running behind the hearse, and she's pounding on the door, mama, mama. And right at that scene, you see the church, the Baptist church, and Mahalia Jackson is singing in the choir. And she's singing this same song that this lady's grandmother sang all the time. troubles of the world with the troubles of the world Lord with the troubles of the world soon I will be done with the troubles of the world going home to live to live with God soon I will be done soon I will be done with the troubles of the world, with the troubles of the world. Lord, Lord, with the troubles, the troubles of the world, soon I will be done, soon I will be done with the troubles of the world. Going home to live, to live with God. talk about how mysteriously transcendent this music is. I mean, 
you know, it, it's a religious idea that, that there is a better life after this one, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a piece of doctrine. But there is something so miraculous happening when you are listening to this music or singing it. You know, for that moment, you're actually transported to that better life, right? <gasps> I mean, you're singing soon, I will be done, but I think in singing that song, you can go through another day of this misery, exactly. right? It makes you strong for a little while. It, 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 it's almost like the eternal becomes part of the present. It's I amazing. I think that's it. I think that is it. <laughs> It's like you, you get into the stream of that living water. Yeah. And there's no past, present, and future. It's just right now. And right now, everything is all right. Yeah. You know, there's a story about um, Elijah, I think, and um, the woman whose son uh, died... And she had received this son in a special, as a miracle, actually. And, um, and the prophet told her that she was going to have this son at a certain time, and she did. And the son dies. And she says, send for the man of God. Send for that prophet. And when the prophet, and, and, and Elijah sends his servant, she says, no, 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 I want to see the man. Now, you gave me the promise I had the child, and my child has died. I'm having a tragedy right now, a tragedy. And when Elijah rode, coming close to her, he said, Woman, how is it with thee? She said, It is well with my soul. <laughs> Want to sing that one? Is that, is that a spiritual or a gospel? It's, it's, a, I, it's a hymn. <laughs> it's a hymn. <laughs> but it does all this, the, the things that those songs do. You know? yeah. It is well. It is, and, and, and there is something that you can find even today in those, especially the older people who really have faith. You say, how are you doing? You know? And you just see that smile. And, and it doesn't say that I'm doing okay. It doesn't say that everything is okay in my life. Um, Sometimes I'll say, I'm blessed. Sometimes I'll say, it is well. You know? So the, the, the sense of well-being does not depend on whether things are good or bad or up or down. Because if we had to live that way as slaves, we would constantly be buried underneath the ground. Because the circumstances were so horrible and so bad, you know, we had to find, as I say, that secret door. Hmm. I want to ask everybody behind the glass what they want, questions or requests or... Yeah, well... Can you hear, can you hear him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, first off, we're just loving it. I mean, it's just going to be fantastic. You need to know that. It's, it's thrilling, frankly. Good. Um, um, I've got a couple of questions, um, and then when we're all done, I'd like to pick up some musical things, but that'll just, you know, the, the interview will be done there. Yeah. But, um, uh, one thing I'm interested in is this, the spiritual as code, um, and you and I talked about this on the phone a little bit the other day, mm-hmm. um, the use of language over the River Jordan, and how they had messages in that, that, you know, were couched in spiritual language, but they actually, you know, they were saying something, they were communicating something. The other slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a spiritual aspect of that, that'd be great to hear about. But because I haven't talked to you about this, no, think, the, yeah. does this make I mean, sense to you? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we touched on it a little bit, but this is taking it farther and it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah be, well, I could give you an example. Yeah. In, um, so let, let her talk about that. Okay. First. Um, you know, the, the use of 
coded language mm -hmm. to in spiritual terms, but yeah. it actually had a real, you know, physical, practical, logistical meaning. Yeah, we we talked about how there was this subversive power of of the words of the spirituals um, saying things which really contradicted the the interests of the masters, for example. But also, I think there there were more overt codes and real practical references in some of the spirituals. And give me an example of that, where there was almost this Steal secret language. Steal away to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't got long to stay here. <laughs> okay, so that's not just about dying and going to heaven. No, that, that's right. So the, they, and, and when someone said, I ain't got long to stay here, everybody knew, hey, I'm going to be escaping tonight and I want you to be supporting me. Wow. Someone is going to meet us on the other side of the river. Green trees are bending. Poor stands a trembling. And maybe they had a signal where someone would shake a leaf in a, a branch of a tree across the river and, 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 and you'd, you'd go on to safety to the Underground Railroad, hopefully. Um, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Um, I looked over Jordan. What did I wait, see? Wait, wait, wait! Swing low, sweet chariot. What's 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 going on there? That's that's not overt. Um, well, first, swing low, sweet chariot was a death song, right? As most of them were in some way. Yeah. And it was often sung when a child died, and it was a way to evoke one's dignity to say. Even though I'm a slave of God, has to send a golden chariot down from the sky. I'm going to have dignity. My child's going to have dignity. Um, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. But then later you get, um, if you get there before I do, tell all my friends I'm coming up there too. <laughs> And so the master never knew what they were singing I, about. I did <laughs> not know that. <laughs> yeah. So that was a very direct, you know, and, and according to the verses, I'm, I'm sure the, the way the verses were sung, they could um, decipher what was going on. And so I think at some point someone realized, maybe I don't have to die in order to have a little heaven. Right. Freedom. And of course, um, they thought that if they got to the Mason-Dixon line and crossed, they would have true freedom. And then, unfortunately, they got across the Mason-Dixon line still found there was oppression and found that somehow they had to revert back to the original spiritual meanings of the song because <laughs> the political meanings never delivered them. Mm. Do, you want, do you want him to sing yeah, that? Just a little bit. No, I'm sorry. Sorry. Now, now that we've got that uh, information, we can get that song and I'll probably hear try it. Try D-flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear it too. Yeah, be, before you record, let's just, we haven't tried this, so let's just, no, no, no. Um, um, swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Uh, let's just try it before you record. Swing Low. We're in Runky, D flat. Three chords. 
swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. I said it's coming for to carry me home. Well, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. Well, it was a band of angels coming after me. <laughs> coming for to carry me home. Why don't you swing low, sweet chariot? Coming for to carry me home. Oh, swing low, sweet chariot. Why? Coming for to carry me home. If you get to there before I do, <laughs> coming for to carry me home. Tell all my friends I'm coming up there too. <laughs> coming for to carry me home. Why don't you swing low, sweet chariot? Coming for to carry me home. Oh, swing low, sweet chariot. Oh, it's coming for to carry me home. It's coming for to carry me home. Oh, it's coming for to carry me. can do a much more whimsical listen knowing what you just told me about what was some of the practicalities and codes behind that we, we just did that with a gospel syncopation oh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think there was so many of the songs um, even wade in the water God's gonna trouble the water um, another image of people going to the river to be baptized and also going to the river to escape to freedom. And when someone started that song outside, moving through the woods, um, <laughs> they knew something was going to... The story of Wade in the Water, they loved that story. It was the story of uh, the Pool of Bethesda, this lame man who had gone down, and, and, and according to the... Um, was the, it Bethesda or Bethany? Was it Bethesda. Bethesda. And huh. the angels were supposed to trouble the water at a certain season. Now, it says today in most of the translations that this was not a story in the original translations, but somehow we grew up with this story. And the story was that a certain season, the angels would come and trouble the water, as they say, which I don't know, they put their wings in or their toenails or whatever. But (laughs) whatever happened, once they touched the waters, if you you got in the water and you were sick, you'd be healed. And so here's this guy, um, 38 years he's been going, and Jesus comes by and says, what's your problem? He says, can't you see? I'm, I'm a lame man. And every time the, the angels come to trouble the water, somebody gets in before me. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Well, yes, of course I do. Then take up your bed and walk. They love this story. 
because this was about self-sufficiency. We are not victims, we're powerful individuals, and we, we are people of faith. And so they, were, so they sang, uh, let me just do a little bit of that song. Yeah. Wade. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the water, wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Let's do that again with you two again. Is it just mm -hmm. questions and then should I just ask them and then maybe you do musical things or yeah and Kate has a question okay yeah by the way that was one of the first jazz songs oh okay that in Owen the Saints come marching in yeah <laughs> Chris I was just wondering if Joe wanted to say anything more about the period of integration and how one of the ironies of that time was that many African Americans lost their connection with their own traditions Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. 
and then, right, and there's this, the way the story goes forward, which is, as you said, people crossed the Mason-Dixon line, and it turned out that these songs were really about the human condition, mm-hmm. which, which changed, which, I mean, some details changed in leaving slavery, but um, life was still full of sorrow. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, a sort of t- tragedy there um, and an irony. Um, and I mean, do you do you believe that 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 harsh reality, um, that irony, also led to to African American people becoming disconnected from this music? I don't think that we've ever really become disconnected, whether we sing it in church or not. Um, maybe the the youngest generation. I don't know. But any of those of us who still have grandparents or uncles and aunts who are from that period, we can never forget it because it's a mm-hmm. part of us mm-hmm. on one level or another. But there came a time in um, our sojourn as a community when civil rights were important. We'd, we'd, we were supposed to be free, but we still couldn't go to the same schools and so on. Um, civil rights movement took place. It was about integration. And so there was a period of time when we wanted to show the rest of the world, we're not this strange subculture. We're normal people like everybody else, and we can play baseball. We can be doctors, lawyers. We can sing in German if we want to. And so during that time, our own culture sort of took a back seat. And it wasn't until a little bit later we had the Black is Beautiful movement where we realized mm-hmm. we've, got to, we've got to hang on to these roots. And, and right now, I think it's, it's an important thing for young people um, of all nations and races to, to learn about the roots of, of our history as a nation, which certainly includes the story of the African-American sojourn. We tilled the land. We made this place a rich nation. Um, and we worked um, without pay for generations and generations and generations. And we've contributed great things. And one of the greatest things we've contributed to this nation is our spirit, which is expressed in this music called the spirituals. And, you know, it seems like there's something at play here in how, I mean, the politics of freedom in some ways can, can is different from that freedom, that dignity, that, Afri- that, that the slaves possessed regardless of their legal status. And that, I mean, in this noble fight for rights, for mm-hmm. civil rights, that's a, that's a very different way to be, <coughs> be in the world. Yeah, okay. <coughs> oh, oh, is that the phone? Okay. Supposed to be on. Excuse me. Yeah, you know, you get one more chance and then you never get to go back to it. Well, is on? Yeah, I could. I thought maybe it was just in the headphones. Yeah, but this is so important. What's yours? Yeah, yeah. This is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm searching for how to how to say this, and mm-hmm. it's it's more a thought than a question. But the how how there is something in that in this this story and this uh, what this what this makes me think of is how. Um, the politics of freedom mm-hmm. um, can actually distract from this inner freedom and dignity which the slaves possessed and which we find 
so expressed in its music and, and even maybe today. In, in the same sense that sometimes religion can distract from spirituality. Mm-hmm. You get a structure, a you form, get a structure, right. you get a program, and somehow after a while the real thing is, 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 is it's, it's, it's as elusive as it is the Holy Grail. Right. And, and if you turn <laughs> your attention to fighting for rights, which is, which is sort of a part of the American mm-hmm. religion of democracy, right? And that's a good fight. So there's, no, there's no denying that that's a noble Absolutely. and important fight. At the same time, you can lose this sense that these slaves who created this music obviously had that at every moment they were full of grace. They were blessed, right? All was well with their souls, no matter what was going on around them, no matter what rights they had or what their legal status was. Um, now, it, it, it must be said that there were certainly... Um, Slaves who were trying to escape, um, slaves who were um, willing to um, get involved in uh, revolution and um, insurrection and so on. But I think the larger community had a spiritual identity that that guided them. And uh, an interesting part of this identity was um, you don't beg, you don't steal, you don't borrow, you work hard and you trust God and you do. You know, people talk about the worth, the work ethic. My parents had eight kids. I'm the youngest, the seventh son. Both my parents came from the South with no more than a sixth grade education. And they decided that they were going to do the best they could for their families. First thing they did, they started going to night school. My mother took every kind of correspondence course that ever came, you know, and soon our house, house was filled with books. And my mother worked full-time cleaning the house of wealthy white women, and she had to come home and take care of all of us. Which is my not father worked. so very different from the way no, really. her ancestors That's lived right. on a plantation. But do you know something? They never went on public assistance. That was something that was not, a, an, that was not an option. You know, they would rather die than to go to a government office and say, we're poor, we're helpless. No, no, we'll take care of ourselves. God has taken care of us before. He'll see us through this. That was the kind of attitude that I knew when I was growing up in, in the African-American uh, community. The people that I knew in my community, they were people who were people of great integrity. And even the poorest of them were, you know. And, um, and so I grew up with a tremendous respect for the ancestors. And we have to be so careful not to be glorifying slavery, right? Or That's, yeah. glorifying. So, what are we talking about here? You know, I mean, what are we? What are we? What are we getting? I at? think what we're talking about is human suffering, and how do we survive when the worst happens? What are the mechanisms? And I think that African Americans have shown the world. Um, and other peoples have done it too. Other peoples are doing it all the time. And it's the same process. It doesn't matter who the people are. It doesn't matter whether the song is an actual song of notes and music um, or whether it's uh, the, the spirit of a people expressed in um, some other way. But you find, for example, when I sing these songs, um, I can sing Motherless Child in Siberia. They know what it means. They've been through hell. You know, mm-hmm. I can go to Scotland and Ireland and Wales and sing these. They understand the sentiments. As a matter of fact, you go to, to Wales right now, you'll find African-American spirituals in Welsh, in the Welsh hymn book. 
part of their worship, you know. So the, the, the songs have become symbolic, I think, of that universal quest for freedom, that yearning for freedom, and that part of us that says, I will not be defeated. But, you know, so I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking as I'm speaking, and I, I, I don't know that, that I have anything important to say here. Uh, the, the paradox of the spirituals in their context of slavery um, was that they gave themselves over, in some sense, to to suffering and to to the hardness of life and to, to really to an essential powerlessness. You know, this this is where we are. This is where we live. And but there was an and and I am beloved. I'm graced. I am blessed. I have dignity. I'm alive. And what I experience now is not all there is, right? I wonder if when people, when, when there is more, uh, when, there, when there is at least an appearance of more f- of freedom, of practical freedom and mm-hmm. justice, um, and there's a reliance on that or a hope in that, uh, and then that, that is disappointed, right? These structures disappoint this freedom disappoints, mm-hmm. uh, that there's a devastation which can set in. I mean, in some ways, in you know, there's, there's a surrender and there's an incredible, incredible power at the same time in the spirituals. And I don't know, when life is sort of halfway better, <laughs> maybe the surrender goes away and the power is diminished too. Does that, am I making any yeah, sense? Yeah, I, I think and it's, is, you know, that, that's one of the horrible problems that we have to deal with, with the whole issue of, of, of progress, right? you know, because in the process we may lose something, but you know something? Because I've been living with these songs, these songs have become the strength of my life, because I realize even though I am not in slavery, as my grandparents or great-grandparents were, um, I deal with all of the difficulties of life that everybody, nobody escapes. No, and even somebody who's perfectly free and perfectly rich and perfectly powerful in the world's terms doesn't escape from suffering, right? That's right. Okay. And bondage, the worst kind of bondage is that which takes place on the inside, you know? And when we look back to the slavery days, we were bound, but it was the master who was really the slave. And I think some of us understand that now. But I experience in my own life... Um, great strength from telling the stories and looking back because I see what they went through. And I haven't experienced anything like what my ancestors did. And I complain about everything. But I get strength um, in, in, in the process of telling the story and remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, um, I wonder, as you tell the stories to all kinds of people, people in in this country and people elsewhere. Um, now, let me start. I have another question. I, I wonder if it is it all d- disturbing to you that this music, um, with its sensibility, has, you know, is considered now to be a defining part of American culture as a whole. You could say maybe that it's been co-opted, embraced. Um, does that does that bother you? Because that that necessarily takes it out of its context, doesn't it? I mean, is it okay for a white person to celebrate this as much as you know, whether it were my ancestors? Well, I think it's a good question. And, um, and my answer is this. When any um, 
music or art becomes this transcendent thing that helps people through, it, it then becomes the property of the universe, it becomes the property of the world. And, and to tell the story of the spiritual, it's not an African story, it is an African-American story. It's the blending of the two cultures. And, and the fact that um, George Gershwin um, was influenced greatly by the spirituals, um, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing that this man could reach out of his neighborhood, go down to South Carolina and, South Carolina and listen to the elders sing and come back and say, this is a treasure. <laughs> and then translate that through his genius and give to the world as so many others have. And I mean, even there are many European composers like Dvorak who were influenced by this music. And today, um, you know, I sing with a Russian choir when I'm, when I'm in, in Russia. And they, we do a whole thing of, of spirituals, which they sing a cappella in English. And it's part of their repertoire. <laughs> And all over the world, I found that these songs have become symbols, not only of great music, but of freedom. Um, so I think the, the fact that uh, <clears throat> Swedish choirs are singing African-American gospel music, it's the greatest compliment, you know. And I, and I think Germans should be happy that, uh, that African-American singers can do German leader too, you know, right. and enjoy it. right. Well, and also, I think I hear you saying that even when it is per, perhaps presented or packaged in the same way we might present or package entertainment, the message of the songs communicates itself. The spirit of the songs is still there. I think, it, as it, it's true with any kind of art, there has to be the sensitivity of the person who is observing and participating. And some people don't get it, no matter what you do. <laughs> And there are other people, you don't have to say anything, they get it from the get-go, you know. Yeah. And I think that um, one of the things I would say about the development of Afri African-American music and culture, <clears throat> the powers that be found it much more attractive to promote the blues and to promote the image of the black man singing the blues with a bottle of wine in his back pocket, singing about less than noble sentiments. While we had this whole treasure, and the Paul Robesons and the Marian Andersons and others who came and brought this music forth, they didn't make the big commercial successes. Well, Robeson and, and Anderson did for a while, but they are among the few. In order to make a commercial success, you've got to sing soul, you've got, you've got to get away from anything that is spiritual and <clears throat> change soul the message. Soul as opposed to spiritual. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> And, and the interesting, and I, I just have a certain personal feeling about it because when I was growing up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the black families that I knew, um, those who went to my church, those who were in my school and in the neighborhood, they were, they were people of, um, of great merit, um, people who were admirable, admirable for their qualities and the way they raised their families and so on. And I, and I knew that there were uh, people who were in desperate and very dysfunctional situations, but I didn't see that. That was that was something that was not a part of my growing up. And so the image of the old blues man um, singing about the latest, you know, the latest girl, the latest this, the latest that, 
I thought, my God, this is the kind of image they want to, per they want to per perpetuate about the African-American male, and I'm again it. Hmm. You know, because there are other things, and we have represented so many things, but that's what the commercial thing. So <clears throat> you can travel around the world today, and you know, you hear, um, I was in the marketplace in Nigeria, and I, and I heard, um, who let the dogs out? Roof, roof. <laughs> you know, I'm hearing all the rap, all of this. Yeah. And I'm hearing some of the worst expressions of African-American culture. That's what gets transported abroad. And so there, there is some, um, <clears throat> we still have a problem because there are still people who don't want to tell the truth about who we are. And if the truth is really told, then you've got to go back and tell the story of the love and the forgiveness and the power of many of the ancestors. They weren't all loving and forgiving. I mean, some of them were mean-spirited. Some of them, you know, did whatever they had to do, I'm sure. But as a, a national identity, this music became the embodiment of, of a spirit of um, goodwill, a spirit of forgiveness, um, a spirit of, I'm going to survive no matter what. Mm, dignity, I mean, that's a word yeah, that keeps coming yeah, up. Yeah. And by the way, this, this, this woman that I told you about, Jessie Anthony, <clears throat> she was the most dignified soul I'd ever met. And she would, the last time I saw her, she was, I think, 88 years old. Her parents were born slaves. And she began to sing the spiritual. She, began, she sang at Boston Public Library. She sang at Harvard, demonstrating the music. And her greatest dream was that her daughter would grow up and be a lady. Well, her daughter became um, an African-American professor of, of, of history, of, of African-American history at Howard. And she survived, her daughter passed away before she did. Last time I saw Jesse Anthony, um, she said, Joe? <laughs> I said, yes, Miss Anthony. She said, I want you to go into my bedroom and look under my bed and tell me what you see, dear. And so I went in her bed. I said, you got a suitcase? <laughs> she said, yes, I do, child. I said, what's in the suitcase? And she smiled, she beamed at me, she said, in that suitcase, I've got my going home clothes. Oh, I got a beautiful dress in there. Jesus is coming for me any day, don't you know, child? And she just started laughing. I'll never forget that image. Here was someone who had gone through all of the changes in culture and society and now was living in an elder apartment complex in Boston, all of her children in Washington, D.C. and everything, and she was still singing her songs and she was holding her head up high every place she went. And nobody ever, <laughs> you know, she was the kind of person who just commanded your respect. And, <clears throat> and when the young people, when, whenever we'd go to her house, she would tell us the stories of these songs and everything. And then she would always end singing um, one little song. Give me a C, Tom. C chord. And she'd sing, children, if you don't remember anything I've told you, if you don't remember any songs that I've sung for you, I want you to remember this one. Be ready when he comes. Be ready when he comes. Be ready when he comes. Oh, Lord, he's coming again so soon. Oh Lord, he's coming again so soon. 
Now, Joe, you be ready, don't <laughs> you? be ready, child. You know, we haven't even <clears throat> named this, but this is not just about about living with the reality of of what it is to be human, which includes suffering. It also includes death, right? I mean, that's something Americans are bad at acknowledging. It's something we've been talking about more since September 11th. I mean, it's so this is this is a real grace. Can you give me an E flat? When my father died, and I just I got the news I was here, and I remember that morning, I had turned on public radio, and there was just a little piece of a spiritual that came through, and something that I had heard as a child, and I couldn't remember the words, but that was all that went through my mind. And it was, um, just follow me. <laughs> Let the work that I've done speak for me. Let the work that I've done Speak for me. Let's take it down to, um, take it down half a step to D flat. Let the work. Why don't you just get a clean start? Yeah. Okay, we need a clean start. <laughs> and I, you know, later when I, I did my concerts, I would do a tribute to my father at the end of the concert. I would sing this song because it's about death. <clears throat> I'm going to start out really slowly, then I'm going to come in with a little tempo. Let the work that I've done speak for me. Let the work that I've done speak for me. When I come to the end of this road and I lay down this old heavy load, let the work that I've done speak for me. Let the life that I've lived speak for me. Let the life that I've lived, Lord, speak for me. When I come to the end of this road and I lay down this heavy load, let the life that I've lived, oh Lord, Speak for me and let the prayers that I've prayed, Lord, speak for me. Let the prayers that I've prayed, Lord, speak for me. Oh, when I've done the very best that I can, and if my friends don't understand. Let the prayers that I've prayed, oh, speak for me. Let the love that I've shared speak for me. Let the love that I've shared, Lord, speak for me. Oh, Lord, when I come to the end of this road and I lay down this old heavy load let the life that I've lived speak for me oh let the prayers that I've prayed speak for me oh yes let the love that I've shared 
Okay. Okay. Well, I think I think we need I I you know, I think if we go on any longer, the editing is going to be impossible to do. I think we have to stop and I think we're at the end. I really do. Yes, and you know, maybe you can do a thank you. I'm going to do a thank you. Yeah. Okay, let me yeah. Yeah. You can still you can still do. We'll finish the interview and then you might do. Mhm. They're running. Did you hear what she said? Mhm. Okay. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much, Joe Carter. It is my pleasure to be here. <laughs> here, right in the moment, right now. Thank you. Okay. Now, he wants to do Deep River, yeah, and we need that. <clears throat> okay. They're going to have you do a couple of other musical things. Okay. And But really, this is... This is such a blessing for me. I wouldn't give you a hug. Well, this work. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This has just been amazing. Thank you. You pulled it out of me. No. no. And I, feels good. Yeah. And I think we just got to exactly the right place that we were supposed to get to. Wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Great. Seriously, if we went on, it would be impossible. Yeah, we all, we've, Tom just said we got, you got a couple, and I think you might have meant we got two shows. Here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So we got some hard choices to make about yeah. what stage it goes. Okay, we can do a couple of other songs that you can yeah, put down. Yeah, and one thing, I'd like to suggest a couple of things if I could. Okay. If, and do you, um, is it okay if I leave? I mean, I think yeah, I'm you don't done. Need to be, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, yeah. I think if I stay, I'll just keep getting you talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to go. Okay. You're welcome to go. Um, I mean, well, this, this was really comfortable, the way yeah. it was, you know, I just, it was, yeah. just to be able to go with the flow. Yeah. And there's sound in here also. Oh, it's, it's so amazing. I've never yeah. done anything here. Yeah. Um, so, I want to make sure, I mean, what, what is it you want to do? Why don't you do what you want to do, and then I'll suggest the stuff that I'd like to do. Well, why don't you suggest your stuff first? Okay, great. First off, um, for uh, uh, one program that we're doing, producing right now, completely unrelated to what we've just done, oh, yeah. is a program on Abraham. And I'd love to hear Rock of My Soul in the Bosom of Abraham, if you know it. Either, yeah, could it be just solo, solo unaccompanied voice? Um, or, or piano. If I could remember the, do you, do you know, the, book. do you have it? Oh, let's, let's look at it. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my is that bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul. Come on and rock. My soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul. Something like that. We used to sing that in Sunday school. <laughs> I have to look at the. <clears throat> yeah, um, my enemies won't let me be something. Oh, is that? Okay. Well, we'll look at the words that she. And what else do you have on there? Mm -hmm. um, that, um, Brian, we're not rolling. Just okay, so that's fine. Um, the 
Yeah, I did it. With, with Sooner will be done. That was a song. Yeah. Okay, good. I didn't know. Which it was also fit with the other story too. Okay, so that was Sooner will be done. Um, uh, the other one is you didn't do it in here, but I and I've never heard it before. Something about someone's coming out taking names. Oh, you want that? I've never heard that one. That's gorgeous. That's a that <clears throat> that was the only time I'd ever heard it was on a Paul Robeson record. And you know, his father was a slave. Let me do that one for you now. Yeah, while we get, while Mark gets the books, let's roll through on that one. Okay, I'll play this. Taken Names, there's, there's... Taken Names? Yeah, that's probably the title. There's a man going around taking names. Okay. And you know, I don't know exactly <clears throat> what the actual reference is, but apparently when somebody died in the slave camp, someone would come and take the name. Interesting. I, I read it in other ways, like they're coming around, like it's actually in the slave camp, and they're going to take names about who's going to be sold next or something like that. No, this is about death. This is about this death? Is th these names are people who have died. All right. Okay, let's hear it. So... <coughs> There's a man going round taking names. There's a man going round taking names. Well, he's taken my brother's name and left my heart in pain. There's a man going round taking names. There's a man going round. Taking names There's a man going round Taking names Well, he's taken my brother's name And left my heart in pain There's a man going round Taking names Death is that man Taking names Death is that man taking names Well, he's taken my mother's name And left my heart in pain Ooh, there's a man a-going round There's a man a-going round Lord, there's a man going round Taking names. Mark, you have the book? Mark, there with the book? Yes. <laughs> There's much pointing going on. Then let's do this so I want Jesus. We're just printing that off, so it's, just it's not give us in a second. The book that he brought, but we actually found it online, sung by Peter Paul okay. Mary. Okay. I'm printing it out. I'll bring it right in. Okay. So which one are you thinking of? Let's. Um, now you didn't do that close to the gospel thing, I don't think. During the questioning, when she was talking about songs, that were. See, we've got recordings and all stuff too. Um, I don't know what you want. Okay, the next one I love is if, if we're going to be getting this 
but also so we have some kind of um, gives us options about how to start the program because we got to provide station breaks. And I'd love to have some just solo cam, mm -hmm. and whether that's done by you or Tom, it's your call. But I'd like to have two or three, however long you want to put them, just some solo cam. Okay. Wayfaring stranger. Okay, you did it for me though.
Yeah. But you're not hearing it today. Uh, we got a few more weeks before Easter, yeah. ask you, um, in, in the conversation that we had before the show um, about the other music and so on, is that, uh, see this wasn't supposed to be a big performance thing, but that's what it turned out yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. So one request that I have before you, anything that you choose, I want you to run, to run it by me to sure. see that sure. I'm pleased with it. Sure, sure. I, can't, and if, I can't really imagine that we'll probably do that. Huh? They will probably add a lot of CD yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, it just it well, it flowed so well. It doesn't yeah. seem. I think it would feel funny, frankly. Yeah. Okay. And also, if we did it, I think we'd have to bring you back in to say, you know, to somehow introduce it, because yeah. otherwise it will yeah. just be stuck it, okay. in the middle of the live performance. It was such a kind of an organic piece of its own that I it would feel like yeah. kind of sticking something yeah, into right, it. Yeah, right, right. Here you have this this sound, and then you've got. You know, something completely yeah. different. So yeah, yeah. It okay. Would really, we'll let you know, but it wouldn't really surprise me if we found any reason okay. to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Here's a couple different versions of Rock My Soul. So in which case, then I would want to add some more songs for you to choose from. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just you guys? Okay. Yeah. You want to do them now? <clears throat> let's do that now. Okay. So let's right. do... Um, guys, make yourselves happy. Let's do Let Us Break Bread Together. Okay. Yeah. B flat. Okay. Just so you know, we've got to be clear at about 1 o'clock. piano was way too loud in my ears. And can you play more lightly on this? But that's, this, that's just the way I want to do it. Yeah. yeah, I should be on the other side of the piano. Why don't you just give me some chords and let me bring it in? Just give me a couple of chords. So just do that, um, the opening chords, and I'll give you the tempo. No, don't give me a tempo. Just give me two chords to bring me in, and I'll give you the tempo. I think I'm fine. <clears throat> Just try it one more time. If you can save a little bit of voice, the rock of my soul too. Okay. Yeah, just like that.
together on our knees. Let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun. Hold my hand, hold my 
oh Lord, to hold my hand. When I'm weary, Lord, walk with me. When I'm weary, Lord, oh, walk with me. In my trials and tribulations, I got to have Jesus, oh Lord, to walk with me. Then I say it like this, hallelujah, walk with me, hallelujah. trials and tribulations oh lord i got to have jesus oh lord to walk with me one more time walk with me lord walk with me i want a jesus to walk with me when I'm troubled Lord oh when I'm lonely I got to have Jesus oh Lord to walk with me and what key are we in? Oh, I'm sorry. I want Jesus to walk with me. I want a Jesus to walk with me. When I'm lonely, Lord, and when I'm troubled, oh, I got to have Jesus, oh, Lord, to walk with me. Start what? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Oh, yes, he's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister. Oh, in his <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got phlegm in my throat. Let's just try that one more time. Now let me tell you what I'm going to do in the, in the middle. Um, Mahalia used to do a verse. She said, if religion was a thing that money could buy, 
the hope, boom, 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 the whole world in his hands. All the rich would live and the poor would die. The whole world in his hands. That's the verse. You want to try that? Yeah, in that key. Yeah. No, we didn't change. Go ahead, give me the. Now this is the verse. If religion is a thing that money could buy, just stay in there. The whole world in his hands. This is like a call and response. The whole world in his hands. Yeah, just there. Okay. That's basically, it's like there's a choir singing in the background. So she says, if religion was a thing that money could buy, the whole world in his hands, all the rich would live and the poor would die, the whole wide world in his head, hallelujah, he's got the whole world. That's it. Okay, ready? I'll just do that one. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Don't you know he's got the wind and the rain right in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain all in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Oh yes, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Listen to this. If religion was a thing that money could buy, the whole wide world in his hands. The rich would live and the poor would die. The whole wide world in his hands. Oh, yes, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his Okay, how does the verse go? I know that part, but the, the other part. Oh, it's the same. Okay. Okay, that's right. Rock my soul. What key are you in? So take it to E flat. Let's just try it. Rock 
my soul in the bosom of Abraham. We're just trying it because we don't, we've never done the song before. Like half the other things we did this afternoon. Okay. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul. Now, is that the way that goes? You see, the way we used to do it was. And we used to do, oh, rock my soul, come on. Okay. What? Oh, rock my soul, come on and rock my soul. With that? Okay. Try it one turn. Rock my soul in the. soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul. And can you give me some other beat or tempo to that? This is, uh, is there some other way you can do it? Slightly different. No, that's the same. It's, I'm just seeing the, um, Anyway, okay, we'll just do it. Um, okay, let's just do it this way. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul. Rock my soul in the bosom of can you do it a little bit more gospel? There's too much, I'm, I'm getting the downbeat where I'm singing and I need something, I need syncopation somewhere. No, almost like you're doing ragtime with the, the bouncing, with the, I, I wanted something different. My soul in the bosom of Abraham, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham, oh, rock my soul, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham, oh, rock my soul. Okay. So high. Can't get over it, so low, can't get under it, so wide, can't get around it. Oh, rock my soul, rock my soul in the bosom, something like that. Oh, were you recording? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got, we okay. Thank you, thank you. We never stop, Joel. We never stop. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
I know it. Isn't that something? Yeah. This has been a pleasure. Just fantastic. You're going to come up with a great.